Before we begin our Torah study this morning, would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We are going to look at a number of scriptures today from the Torah portion and related scriptures. And the focus that I have on this is about how the Lord will lift us up when we're falling and what do you do when you feel like you're at the end of your own strength. We're going to start though with the part of the Torah readings that focus on Bilam or Balaam because they provide some context for us and some understanding for us that, that help us get the big picture about life. In this week's readings, we're learning that Balaam, that's how we say it in the South, isn't that right? Yes, Balaam, who can say Balaam? Balaam. Balaam, yeah. In Hebrew, Balaam, Balaam, that's right. And often in the South, where we're from, if you say Balaam, people look around. Like, what on earth are you talking about? Who on earth are you talking about? And in Israel, if you say Balaam, they don't know what you're talking about. So we'll use both pronunciations, the Southern American and the Israeli Hebrew for, for this person. We learned that Balaam, Balaam is held accountable for his plan to bring harm to Israel. He, in fact, was the mastermind and he had a plan that the Lord recognized. The Lord held him personally accountable, culpable legally and morally for the destruction and the death that he caused. And Numbers 31, I want to encourage you to follow along in your scriptures with me. Numbers 31 verse 8 tells us that all of the tribes of Israel united in war together. And they not only defended themselves against the five kings of Midian, verse eight tells us they killed the kings of Midian. And it goes on and says, they also killed Bilam, the son of Baor, with the sword. Now, if you didn't read this week's Torah portion, you might know, not know what happened to Balaam, to Balaam. You might think he got away. He got away with it. You might think that justice was not worked out from God's perspective. And yet here we find out that Bilam is held accountable. And then it goes on and tells us that the women of Midian were also held accountable, all those who had followed Bilam's advice. This is in verse 16, Numbers 31, verse 16. It says that the women who caused the people of Israel to rebel, the women of Midian, breaking faith with the Lord in the Peor incident so that the plague broke out among Adonai's community. In other words, the Lord held accountable the women who were part of Balaam's plan, the women from Midian who had seduced men of Israel and led them into false worship and led them into rebellion. Not only were the people who were guilty of the idolatry held accountable, but the ones who had led them astray were held accountable. Balaam himself is held accountable for Israel breaking faith with the Lord. It cost him his life. It's also important to know that future writers in the scriptures would conclude that Balaam was evil. And this is important to understand because if you only have part of the story, if if you only focus on, for instance, the blessings that Balaam uttered and the way that the Spirit of God moved on him on occasion, if you only focus on the good part, then you will reach a conclusion based on that evidence that is different than the evidence that the New Covenant writers reached. It's important to have the whole story. So here's part of the whole story. Bilam was evil. Bilam caused harm to Israel 
Balaam was against the Lord. Now let's look at the explanation that some of the apostles came up with. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, says this. Now I'll switch to the southern pronunciation. Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong, or we could say, who loved the wages of wickedness, that's one translation. So that tells us something, that, that Peter, the apostle, Peter, apostle to the Jews, who was writing to Jewish believers in Messiah, what we would call Messianic Jews today. And so it applies, it's useful, it's important for us to understand his perspective. His perspective is you gotta follow the money. And the money here is what was motivating Balaam. He loved to earn money by doing wrong. He was not motivated the way you might have thought if you only focused on the good part. He loved the wages of wickedness. And then let's go to Jude, and if you think of his Hebrew name as Yehuda, or Judah in, in English, you'll, you'll grasp um, how he was known. Jude has only one chapter, it's a letter without chapters. So we're gonna look at verse 11. And Jude links together Balaam, Cain, Korach, and to a threesome of evil, all of whom are connected. Jude verse 11, woe to them, speaking about people who went the wrong way, they have traveled the path of Cain, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, they have perished in Korah's rebellion. So all these teachings about Balaam and Korah in the Torah that take place over an extended number of weeks, it may lead you to get tired of reading about Balaam or hearing about Balaam, or you may be wondering, Rabbi, why are you still focusing on Balaam? And the only reason is because the scriptures are still focusing on Balaam. The scriptures are still focusing. And so there's this extended attention that's, that's given to Balaam, and it's important for us to pay attention as the scriptures do. Now, you may think that Balaam is like irrelevant to our day and age, or you may think that, that this is just ancient history, that it doesn't have much application to us. But in fact, these teachings about Balaam, the teachings about Karach, even the teachings, the story of Cain, are relevant to us, and they have a purpose. The, the purpose is so that we would ourselves not fall prey to such spiritual forces. Let's look at more of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5. I like to do some simple things and real simple and direct. How many of you know that, that Peter was Jewish? Okay, if that's news to you, uh, I hope it's never news again. Peter was a Jew. How many of you know he was uh, also of Israel? He was an Israeli Jew. You knew that. Okay, congratulate someone who's near you. You knew that too. You're, you're, you're doing better than many people. And how many of you know that Peter was identified as an apostle to the Jewish people? How many of you knew that? Oh, well, welcome to more knowledge. If you didn't know that already, he was an apostle to the Jewish people. Paul, on the other hand, was an apostle to the nations, but how many of you knew that Paul was Jewish? The New Covenant Scriptures are written by Jews, for Jews, and for people who join themselves with the Jewish people in the body of Messiah. Foundational things. Now, 
With that in mind, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, which speaks to us about some important issues that help you and me understand what we're supposed to be paying attention to and how we can understand the challenges that, uh, that we face in our day and age. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humility under the mighty hand of God. This is what we're called to do. We are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. His hand is mighty, Mishpocha. He's not weak. He's not unable to save. The story of Pesach and the story of Yeshua is this, that God has a mighty hand and he can exert his strength and his power. And what do we do? We honor him by humbling ourselves before him and his mighty hand. Now the second part, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, this is also important to pay attention to, there is something called the proper time. Let's just say that out loud. The proper time. And we need to be sensitive to God's timing because if we don't pay attention to the timing of the Lord, we're only paying attention to our time. You get that? So this is, this is guidance that's being given to the Messianic community about what we need to do and how we need to live in times of challenge. And let me tell you the truth. Every day is a time of challenge. Every week is a time of challenge. Every month, every year, every season is a time of challenge. And so we need to be aware of that, even when you are having the best time of your life, it's a time of challenge. And the important thing to always be doing is looking to the Lord and humbling ourselves before him and his mighty hand so that he can lift us up, he can exalt us at the proper time, not the improper time. Everybody who's ever raised children knows that children don't always recognize the proper time. And everybody who's ever been a child knows that we don't always recognize the proper time. How many people want to eat dessert before your vegetables? <laughs> proper time. Okay, that's the first part. Next in verse 7. Having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Let's look at that carefully. Cast all your anxiety on him. All of it. Not just some of it, but all of it. All the anxiety. How can we do that? We can do it because he cares about us. But it also tells us something, that during the challenges that we face in life, and during the times when we're wondering, when is God going to fix what needs to be fixed? We also may have anxiety that can can be something we don't know how to process. Now, what a lot of people do, a lot of religious folk do this, is they push it down. They deny it. They suppress the anxiety. And they even enter into denial. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious. Of course they're anxious. There's no shame in being anxious as part of the human condition. What do we do with it? If, if you just push it down, you know what will happen. It will be like pushing down Jack in Jack in the Box. 
and someone or something or just life itself is going to turn your crank. And one day, Jack is going to pop out. You can't suppress your anxiety. That is not what believers are told to do. We cast our anxiety on him. Not just some of it, all of it. We, we do it because we know he cares about us. And so we express this honest anxiety to him. And we verbalize it and vocalize it. I'll speak more about that a, a little later. But we cast it all on him. Rather than just keeping it inside, we open up to him. And tell him the honest truth. And we can do that because we know he cares about us. Now here's the next part, verse 8. Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Sober spirit and be on the alert. Now this is what some people do after they've prayed their prayer of casting their anxiety. They, they enter into a kind of super spirituality where they're saying everything's done, it's all finished, hallelujah, praise the Lord. No more difficulty. That's done. And it's not done. We're told, be sober. Be sober. How you understand being sober could depend on your experience with things that might keep you from being sober. But you could say, be clear-minded. Be focused. Be on the alert. Pay attention. Let's just say that to ourselves. Pay attention. Don't close your eyes and engage in wishful thinking and optimism and stuff like that. That will just further disappoint you. Use the power of your anxiety, your worry, to fuel your prayer and stay alert. Let's go to verse 9. I'm sorry, not yet 9. It's the rest of verse 8. And here's an explanation. Your adversary, the devil, Hasatan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we have an adversary, Hasatan, who's prowling around like a roaring lion, and he's looking for someone to devour. He's looking. He's looking. That's why we need to be sober. That's why we need to be alert at times that are like what are being described here, we need to be alert because the enemy is looking for food. He's a predator looking to eat us up. I don't know about you. I don't want to be his meal. Do you? No. So what do we do? This is verse 9. So resist him. Resist him. Don't give in. Firm in your faith. You know what that means? Keep trusting the Lord. Knowing. Now this part is so useful to us. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters in the world. This is what all of us need to do. All over the world this is happening in every era, in every continent, Um, all over the world, all throughout the body of Messiah, in Messianic congregations, everywhere, it's hard, there is suffering, and this is our battle. Don't give up, don't give in, stand firm, don't lose heart. It's not just right around you. It's everywhere that the enemy is wanting to devour. It's everywhere that believers need to be alert. Can you say that to yourself? It's everywhere. It is everywhere. Now with that in mind, let's ask some hard questions. What could defeat us? And from the Haftorah reading, you can turn to Jeremiah 2. We'll look at only two verses, verses 7 and 8. Let me point out 
that religious behavior and activity without a life-transforming experience of repentance and humility before God, that type of religious behavior cannot protect us. It will actually defeat us. That's what the Haftorah reading is all about. Jeremiah 2, verse 7. The Lord says, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and you defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Verse 8. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who handled the Torah did not know me. The shepherds rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. The prophet Jeremiah is saying that religious behavior, even professional religious roles, without a humble and repentant relationship with God makes us vulnerable to turning away from the Lord. In other words, it can happen to anyone, to any of us. Not just people who act religious but don't have a real relationship with God, but the next part is believers who have personal relationships with God, who aren't just going through the motions but are also at risk. So I want to look at several different perspectives on this. And the first one is this. We are particularly at risk when we've come to a place of emptiness or a place of weakness without any more strength or power. When we feel that we can't go on. Actually, it's more than a feeling. When we know we can't go on. When we're out of strength and power, I've been in that place, have you? Not everybody can admit it because some people would prefer to have a facade, uh, an image, an image that's different. But thank goodness for the scriptures. The scriptures peel away the religious facades that people can have. The Apostle Paul The Apostle Paul understood what we're talking about. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Most of us like to think of the Apostle Paul as being a kind of superman. Superman of the faith, you know, like strong, able to do all things in God. You know, some of the scriptures that we read that he wrote give us the idea that he was a different kind of human being than we are. But look what he wrote. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. That's the Apostle Paul. That's in the Bible. Now, when people say things are, you know, like this is a biblical way or this is not a biblical way, well, here's a biblical reality. Honesty. Honesty is biblical. Honesty about the the reality that we face. And and let's, let's unpack this one verse and look at the parts because they're so important. We were under great pressure. How many can relate to that? Have you ever been under great pressure? Anybody? Most of us. And, and those that can't acknowledge it, you're probably under great pressure. Sometimes it's hard when you're under such great pressure to even say, I'm under great pressure. Sometimes it's even hard to verbalize and to identify what it is that's happening to you. And people might say to you, just trust the Lord. But you're already trusting the Lord. Let's just say you had a moment where the Apostle Paul was going to sit down with you and you were going to take stock of your spiritual condition. He was going to take stock of his and You could make some comments to him. He could make some comments to you. And he says this, I'm under great pressure. Now, if you're a super spiritual person, you might say, well, you just need to trust the Lord. 
But remember who you're talking to, the Apostle Paul, who trusts the Lord. How many of you know he trusted the Lord? He trusted the Lord. We were under great pressure. And then the second part of what he says, far beyond our ability to endure. So it wasn't just emotion. It wasn't, I just feel like I can't do this. He had no more strength. He had no more power. He couldn't, he could not endure using his ability, all of his ability. And then the last part, so that we despaired of life itself. When we despair of life itself, you know what that means? It means we're like the Apostle Paul. Don't be ashamed. It's not a sin to despair of life. It's part of the human condition. We don't want to stay in that condition. We don't want to surrender to it. But to be in it is part of life. There may be times, not, it shouldn't be always. If it's always, that's a whole other matter. But there may be times that are so difficult where your ability to endure is not enough, and the pressure is too great. So you've got the pressure versus your ability, and you're on the losing side. And that's part of the human condition. It's not a sin to experience despair of life itself. What we do with it, is what's important. We don't want to stay in the condition. And here's the good news, we don't have to. And here's why. When we're out of strength, when our ability to endure is not enough, when the pressure's too great, and when we have the effect on our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, when you feel it, not just in your emotions, but you, you experience it in your body. You experience it in your heart. You experience it in your kishkas. Even so, even so, we're not at the end. We may feel like we are. But that's when we can discover new things about God's mercy and his strength and our walk with him. We can depend on the strength of the Lord. And something that we declare every time we pray the Amidah prayers, and thank you, Michelle, for your strong leadership in these prayers this morning. We declare this, Somech noflim. Say that with me. Somech noflim. He lifts up the falling. He lifts up the falling. You may have said it too many times. That so many times that you stop thinking about it. It may come out of your mouth without even taking a moment to affect the way you think or the way your heart is working. It may have become just rote to you, but I want to tell you, it's important to know this about God. He lifts up the falling. Even when you've lost your strength and you fall, he can lift you up. There is no shame before God in being in that condition of falling because you're out of strength. Because you serve a God who is described this way, so mech no flim, he lifts up the falling. You're not on your own when you're out of strength. 
we humble ourselves under his mighty hand so that he can lift us up at the proper time. And he will do that. Even when you've lost your strength and you fall, he can lift you up. Here's what to do. You honestly express what's going on to the Lord. Don't hide it from him. He's watching. He's looking for the contrite and the humble and the ones who are honest before him. He doesn't dwell in the high and lofty place, but among the lowly and the contrite. You can tell the Lord, I am falling, Lord. Help me, lift me up. That's good news. That's what the scriptures teach us about our God. That we can depend on him, we can be honest. When we're out of strength and when we have no way to save ourselves, that is not the ultimate problem. That points us to the ultimate solution. Psalm 145, verse 14 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Maybe you've been in that place. I have, where all I could do is fall down before the Lord. And all I could do was, was cry out to the Lord. And I'm not talking about boo-hoo tears. And I'm not talking about emotional angst. That's my anxiety. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that, that you can't do in front of everybody else. It's the crying out to God that is genuine. And it, it may be with, with groanings, not with words. It may be with moaning, not with words. Remember when Hannah, Hannah was, was praying like that in the temple? And Eli thought she was drunk or that she was uh, mentally unstable. She probably was mentally unstable. You get a little bit unhinged in times like this. But he mistook what she was doing for something else. And she didn't realize she was praying. He didn't realize she was praying. Thank goodness she prayed. And she got a son, Samuel. Where would Israel have been without Samuel the prophet? Oh my goodness. Without Samuel, let me just jump ahead, there would be no King David. There would be no lineage of Messiah. That woman who prayed like that, who was uh, viewed as drunk or babbling or mentally unhealthy or whatever, she was a key to the coming of Messiah. And that should encourage you and me. We may have a part in the future we don't even recognize. And we may look at our own anxiety, our own troubles, our own difficulties, our own challenges, and think, what's wrong with me? And what may be wrong with you is this, that you are part of God's plan. And that you've got to fight the good fight. You've got to learn to resist the devil. You've got to learn to humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Because that's what we all have to do. Let me give another perspective about being at high risk. Being disappointed in the Lord because of the way he's working, that puts us at high risk. Here are some of the, some of the symptoms of that. Not being satisfied with the Lord and the way he's working. Looking for power from other sources. That's very important. If that's one of your symptoms, you're at risk, you're at high risk the kind of risk that can pull you away from God, his plans and his mercy. Another symptom is taking matters into our own hands. When we basically say, 
to the Lord, I don't care what you're going to do, I'm going to do it. That's one example. Here's another symptom, being willing to trade our faithfulness to God for something that we think will bring quicker results. You know, when you say, this is taking too long, and you decide, there's another way to do this. Aha! And it doesn't require that I wait on the Lord. I can do it myself. I can even imagine Gollum speaking. Ah, precious. Yes, we can do it. And, and when you have, you know, like in the cartoons, you got that voice, you know, that little angel saying, you know, to do something good, and the little devil saying, eh, get him. You understand the, that's trying to express in a cartoonish way the battle that we face. But it shows the reality, faithfulness to God on one side, doing something else that's not faithful to God, but we think will give quicker answers. And what do we say in such situations? We say, chazak, be strong. Say that out loud, chazak, be strong. Sometimes you have to learn words that you can speak to yourself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why do you have to say, bless the Lord, O my soul? Because the soul doesn't feel like blessing the Lord. But a part of you has higher authority than your emotions. Doesn't deny your emotions, just exercises authority. <coughs> Chazak, be strong. I've gone through challenging times and people around me, instead of just saying, yes, yes, it's so terrible. They also say, be strong. Don't give up. We need such people around us. We need to surround ourselves with such people who can understand on one hand, but who can tell us be strong on the other. Don't give up. Maybe, maybe you've been or you've seen somebody else who has gotten the kind of breakthrough that you were desperate for, and I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't let that fuel your disappointment. Let that fuel your faith. Let other people encourage you. Their, their breakthrough can encourage you. If you look at their breakthrough as an indication of God's faithfulness and goodness, that will also be expressed to you in the proper time. In the proper time. Don't give up. Don't just fall prey to feeling bad. Why do they get what I'm praying for? Don't do that. Rejoice in their victory. Lord, thank you that you answered them. Thank you for the breakthrough for them. When you hear that other people need something that's just like what you need, pray for them. Not for yourself, pray for them. And God will hear your prayers and answer their need. And let that be an encouragement to you. Rejoice. Thank you, Lord. Another perspective, maybe you've held on, but you feel like you've got no more to hold on with. Have you ever felt that? You've held on, you've endured, but you can't hold on anymore. You're losing your grip. Here's the good news. When you're losing your grip, you can tell the Lord, I'm trying to hold on and I can't anymore. Hold on to me. Lord, I need you to hold on to me. Get a hold of me, Lord. Don't let me go. 
I'm not trying to escape from you. I just can't hold on, but you can hold on to me. That's honesty with the Lord. That will, that will make you more able to endure. Tell him the truth. Why can you tell him the truth? Because he cares about you. And if you don't believe that, that's what the problem is. If you've been expecting the Lord to work your way, you may have an escape clause for your faith. This is a different perspective. I'm trying to give you several different perspectives in the hope that um, at least one of them will, will apply to your personal situation and be useful to you. You're at high risk. We're at high risk when we've got an escape clause. And what I mean by that is um, we've got an escape, escape clause if we have said to ourselves, maybe secretly, nobody else may even know it, but we've said to ourselves, if God does this or he doesn't do that, I'm out of here. And I want to tell you, that means your motivations are all mixed up. And it's important to take a stand against double-mindedness. The double-minded man, the double-minded woman will not receive anything from the Lord. And an escape clause is double-mindedness. If you don't do this, Lord, I'm out. That's double-mindedness. We have to take a stand against double-mindedness. How do we do it? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind, of self-control. Double-mindedness is not from the Lord. Take a stand. Like Elijah said, don't bounce between two opinions. Pick one. Either be with the Lord or be away from the Lord. But don't be away from the Lord and then ask God for everything. Be with God even if it's harder. And it's not about saying, give me. Give me this, give me that. If, if someone told you that the reason to come to God is so that you can get all your gimmies, I, I, I want to tell you, wrong. And almost everybody in this room can confirm wrong. <laughs> God's not a gimme God. He's a cheerful giver, but he's not a gimme God. Ask according to his will. Abide in him, let his word abide in you. Then you can ask when your asker has changed. And don't mix in selfish ambition. I want this for myself. Don't fall for the temptations, being tempted by one's own desires. Even if it's secret, even if nobody else knows what to do with that type of secret stuff that's inside of us that other people don't recognize, but you do, you know. I'll tell you, come out of the darkness. Come out of the dark place you're in spiritually. Tell the Lord the truth. Don't keep secrets from the Lord. Tell him your honest truth. Tell him your honest truth. Your sincerity and your honesty and your truth with God will help you come out of a dark place or a dark hour, he will help the humble and the contrite. That's our confidence. The one who knew no sin became the offering for our sin so that you and I could be restored to God. Yeshua, his very name means God saves, salvation from God. We confess our sin and we confess his righteousness. We don't confess our righteousness. We confess his. It's so important to pay attention to that. When we're honest with God, we can tell him the truth about even the dark things in our hearts and in our lives, and he will help us come out of them. When we want to keep them in the secret place, we stay in the darkness. 
and it hinders us. We don't want to get caught up in the chaos and rebellion. God wants to bring, he wants to bring about much change in all of us, every one of us, individually, all of us together. We can move forward together in the Lord. We can. That's what Israel did. That's what we were reading about. They, they united together and dealt with Midian. They didn't allow the, the distress of their failures to keep them from doing what they needed to do to recover and be strong. They united together. They, defeat, they defeated the kings of Midian and they defeated Balaam. And then they got on with life. That's important. Don't just give up. Don't just give in. You got to move forward. That's one of the reasons why we like the word kadima, because it means forward, charge. In the Israeli defense forces, the officers lead the way. They're not at the back, they're at the front. And they say kadima, charge. Forward. Let's move forward together. Not in our strength, in the Lord. In his strength. In his timing and so forth. Don't give up. Don't give in. It's okay to go through the feelings. But don't give in and make them your plan for life. In the days to come when you're thinking about our mandate, our calling, our congregation, don't allow frustration or offense or anger or difficulty to stop us. Say, Kadima. Kadima, we move forward. We move forward, we move together, and we will multiply blessings around us. And I, wanna, I, I want to keep using a traditional Hebrew prayer that may be unfamiliar to you, but it will become familiar to you. So you can just repeat after me. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, ha'tov v'hametiv. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, the good one and the doer of good. Amen. Lord, we pray, help us endure by holding on to you. And when we can't hold on, hold on to us. You're the one who's good. You're the one who's keeping your goodness in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you, Lord, that your peace is available to us. In the name of Yeshua. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be on the fence about the Lord. There may have been a time in your life when you weren't on the fence. But you may be on the fence. I want to tell you, if that's your condition, be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I think I'm on the fence. I need to get off the fence. Get off the fence by being honest with the Lord. But you might also be on the fence because you're becoming persuaded that Yeshua is the Messiah and you're not sure what's going to happen. I can tell you what's going to happen. You still won't be sure. You're going to know one thing and that is you couldn't save yourself and you needed salvation. That's what you're gonna have to deal with. And that's the thing that you can rest in and you can be confident in. 
that, that you can't save yourself. And we have to remind ourselves and we have to deal with the fact that we can't save ourselves. And before God, we have to be honest and say, I can't save myself, O Lord. I have no righteousness to save myself. And that's when turning to the Lord becomes really important, when we can confess that we need salvation because we can't save ourselves when we confess that sin has separated us from God and we don't want to remain separated, that's when we can, with humility and honesty and integrity, come before the Lord and say, I can't do it. Not with shame, but with humility. And we honestly admit to God, I need your salvation. You are my savior. You are Lord and Savior. And that's the beginning of the turning. And it's so important to get off the fence and make that clear to yourself. Tell yourself, I am in that condition. I'm going to start following the Lord. I'm in that condition. I'm going to confess my sin to him and my need for him. Get off the fence. Lord, help us get off the fence and turn to you. We confess our sins. You are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you that you have become our redeemer and our savior, coming down from heaven, taking on a human body, becoming the one who knew no sin so that we could know the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. In a moment, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing, so would you please rise? And if it's your custom to gather with other people, and if your protocols allow you to do that, feel free. Don't invade somebody else's space. If, if they need to keep their distance, you keep your distance. Honor and respect them. To those who may hear this via podcast or live stream later, would you consider standing with us financially as well? And if this ministry is a blessing to you, if the Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast or the Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Sanctuary Services or any of the Beth Israel ministries are a blessing to you. Would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information is on bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, ye'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai panave lecha, v'yasem lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. May the Lord cause his bright shining face to shine upon you, and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. 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 From Sandy and me and the entire Beth Israel team, thanks for joining us. And we're going to have a little oneg next door, some bagels and cream cheese. You can join us for fellowship. Shabbat shalom, everyone. <laughs>